Happy Father's Day to all of you dads. What a great video. Thank you to Pastor Tyler and Landon and our media team for making that. I heard a quote the other day. I think it was on the radio, and it said that a father is a son's first hero and a daughter's first love. How do you like that? Aww. Yeah, son's first hero, a daughter's first love. So that's what I strive to be as a father, and I know that all of you dads do as well. So happy Father's Day. We are not preaching about fathers today. Um, We have been in a book series since September, um, and we are on the third book now. It is called The Good and Beautiful Community. And um, each week we have expanded on qualities of a good and beautiful community, the church of Jesus Christ and the community that we are called to be. Um, So many good things that we have talked about church. I remember Stacy starting off this third book talking about what it means to be a peculiar community and she talked about being treasured by God and called out by him and holy and set apart. But we've talked about a lot of good things since that first week. We've talked about being a hopeful community about being a serving community, about a reconciling community, forgiving those who have hurt us and helping people who are broken and whatnot. Um, Last week, Pastor Tyler talked about encouragement, the encouraging community. So I'm going to tell you what we're talking about today. I want you to brace yourselves. I want you to grab your neighbor's arm. We don't talk about this every Sunday in church, but it happens to be this Sunday. We are talking about generosity. The Generous Community is the title of my message today. Um, Now, when I say brace yourselves, grab your neighbor's arm, you know what not, sometimes we have hesitation about this conversation, talking about generosity. It's not why our church is always talking about money. Every now and then you run into that person that says things like that. Um, Maybe there was somebody online that you were like, I was dialed in until you said money, click, you know. You don't have to be as polite when you're online. You can just close the laptop. You can just like turn off the TV. So if you're still online, thank you for being here. And uh, thank you to all of you who have not bolted for the door talking about money and material things today. So um, I want to clarify something as we get going here. And that's that I have no financial motive in this message. Uh, Sometimes when you're talking about giving and generosity and whatnot, there's kind of this underlying tone that we're doing a push for the mortgage, we're doing a push for a mission or a particular ministry. No, we're not at all, actually. Um, We're talking about many ways that God calls us to be good managers and to be generous. And not only our finances, but our time, our energy, our talents, and all the different ways that God calls us to give. And so... In starting off with that recognition that giving sometimes makes us uncomfortable, it is not my heart to take you on a guilt trip. I don't think that makes for an effective Sunday message when I take the church on a guilt trip, but I want to bless you. I want to see you prosper. I want to see you overflowing with the joy of the Lord and the joy of giving. So we're going to pray in a moment, but I just want to encourage you, if you are one such person that your stomach gets tied up in a knot when people start talking about generosity and giving and helping and whatnot. And if you're one such person, and I've been that person before that moves to self-justification and self-protection when somebody suggests I'm not doing enough, let's just change our minds this morning. Let's change our minds and to be wide open to what God wants to say through this message because 
Let me tell you a secret. We're not talking about money. We're talking about discipleship. Every single Sunday is about discipleship. It's about becoming better followers of Jesus Christ. And that is something every one of us should want to get into, no matter the topic of the sermon. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord. Christ be magnified in me. Christ be magnified in each person in this room. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Be magnified in our lives, Lord. And God, help us to receive and to respond to your Holy Spirit throughout this conversation on generosity. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so I think the best messages always start with a good story. Um, and I want you to know that this topic of generosity is something that I have wrestled with in my own life as well. So beginning with a story, uh, before Chantel and I were married, and probably even before we were dating, like going back to 2007 or 8 or somewhere around there, we were youth leaders in the youth ministry of this church, and it was very late on a Friday night, uh, 10.30, 11 o'clock, we had just done a full evening, probably five hours of youth ministry, an event, preaching, whatever it was, and uh, this young woman comes stumbling into the church. And when I say stumbling, I, I mean literally stumbling into the church. She was extremely drunk, and uh, she was looking for a ride. That, that's about all I caught from the conversation. She needed a ride, and so Chantel and I helped her into the back seat of my car, and I don't remember where we took her. Uh, she was so disoriented. She just kept guiding us up and down the streets of Morinville for probably about 15 minutes until she decided on a place where she wanted to be. Um, now, she didn't ask for any money. She actually didn't want anything except for a ride. But that very simple story is one of the clearest examples of the things that we experience when we encounter an opportunity to be generous and to help somebody. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really honest with you. I'm gonna be really humble about some of the things that I felt. So on one hand, I wanted to help this person. She was clearly not okay. She was very inebriated. I needed her to get to a safe place. Um, but my motives were not entirely pure either. I mean, 11 o'clock at night, full night of youth ministry. I was tired. I was a bit annoyed. I had just completed long hours of hanging out with kids. Um, I also had pride in my heart because in stepping out to help someone, I was like, man, Jesus must think I'm amazing. Look at me. Like, I mean, I'm serving my heart out, helping people, and on the way home, driving drunk people around Morinville. Come on now. Like, awesome, you know? And so there was this mix of genuine care feeling tired, feeling annoyed, maybe a bit of pride. I'm a good person. Look at me helping. I think there was a fear of being inconvenienced as well. Um, I was praying the whole time that she wouldn't throw up in my car. That's what I was praying. I'm driving along and I'm like, Lord, I like a clean car. <laughs> it's a good thing. And I remember the alcohol was just seeping out of her pores. Like she, she smelled so strong. Um, and I was wondering, is that going to get into my car? Is that going to get into the fabric? All I wanted to do was go home and wash my hands with hot soapy water because we had helped her into the car and she was very dirty. Um, another thought that I had while driving this girl around Mournville was, I wonder if I have anything valuable 
in my back seat. That came to me as I was driving. Is my laptop back there? Is there something else that's valuable to me? Is she going to take it from me? And so I wanted to drop her off as soon as possible. Um, I remember feeling additionally confused about how much I could do for her. I didn't really do much at all. I wish I could say that I, you know, I gave her money or I bought her a coffee or I, you know, paid for a night at a hotel so she was safe or whatnot. All I did was give her a ride, but um, I didn't want to spend money. I didn't want to take more time. And so I was relieved when we helped her out of the backseat of my car and when she was at this person's house. I think once she was gone, Chantelle and I said a quick prayer for her. It felt like the right thing to do, you know, to pray for her after she was gone. We talked about how unfortunate she was, how she likely came from a very dysfunctional family. We said, oh, that's too bad. Oh, so many unfortunate people in our world today probably has terrible friends. We tried to make ourselves feel better by saying it's not as though we could have done more. I mean, people don't get there overnight. It's like a million decisions to get to where she is today, and we can only do so much. Um, I remember thinking, we're just students. We have debt. I got nothing to give to her, and even if we did give her money, the thought was she's probably just going to go and spend it on alcohol anyway, so we don't want to give her any money. So, so I'm, I'm building a picture for you of how we felt. We went home feeling good but guilty, feeling generous but stingy, feeling like we cared and were used by God, but on the other hand, maybe like we were sort of insensitive and like we hadn't done enough. So with that story out there, can anyone else relate to those feelings when you encounter opportunities to be generous? Anyone? <laughs> yeah, okay, we're in good company. In a world where there are so many needs, it can be challenging to wisely discern this value of generosity. And so following the pattern of the book, we're going to look at three false narratives, and then we're going to look at three beautiful, truthful narratives that characterize a good and beautiful community the church is supposed to be. And so false narratives, we're going to start off in a bit of a tension, and we're going to get to a good place. If these three false narratives are at work in your life, they will build a stonewall defense against generosity. Okay, so the three false narratives are judgment, scarcity, and entitlement. Judgment, scarcity, and entitlement. And it's not as though, you know, followers of Jesus consciously subscribe to these false narratives. However, if we were honest about our giving, about our helping, our serving, we would realize that we are persuaded by false narratives. So looking at the first one, the first one is judgment. And the script that many people often follow is God helps those who help themselves. Anybody ever heard that? God helps those who help themselves. It sounds right. We could put a scripture reference on that and somebody would say, yeah, I know that one. You know, <laughs> it's not actually in the Bible. Um, but I've told myself many times, it's about sowing and reaping is the way that I explain it. When somebody is sowing bad seed and reaping thorns and thistles, it's probably because they have made bad decisions. They didn't make good choices. It's not my fault. I make good decisions. I sow good seed. My life is reaping good things. They need to take responsibility for their actions that have brought them to this place. 
And so instead of feeling guilty about not giving, it's easier to judge people. It's easier to judge people. The author of the book says judgment makes the guilt go away. Um, So we follow the false narrative that judging people is okay. We're going to expand on a better narrative as we go along, but just a quick thought on that. As we as we like remember, we need to remember that laziness and bad decisions, yes, they have led people into terrible situations. They have led people into dire circumstances, but that's not always the case. That's not always the case. There are so many people who have had bad breaks. There are so many people who have not been set up well for success. And if things are going well, we can also assume that somehow we have done everything to earn our good fortune. And so we, it's, it's easy, it's even natural to move to judgment if you think you are deserving of everything that you have in your life. We're going to talk about that later on. Uh, scarcity. First one is judgment. Second one is scarcity. And the idea that goes with it is if I give it away, I will have less. If I give it away, I will have less. And this is built on the belief that whatever I give away is now lost. If I give to my church, if I give to the poor, if I give to a a, a friend, a stranger even, that's gone. Whatever I share is gone and whatever I provide for another contributes to my own lack. That's called a scarcity mindset. Now in one sense, if I buy a box of muffins, it's the last day for muffins, everyone. (laughs) Buy your muffins buy them up. Um, If I buy a box of muffins and I give half to you, that's just simple math. There is less muffins for me. If you take away any amount from the original, or the amount is reduced. That sounds right, but in the kingdom of God, that's actually not the correct narrative. That's not a faith narrative. That's not an abundant narrative. It's the way of the world, and it's not the way of Jesus. So judgment narrative, scarcity narrative. The final one is entitlement. And entitlement says, what I have is mine to use for my own pleasure. And so the list goes on. Money, time, gifts, talents, me, 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 mine, 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 mine. They belong to me and I can use them as I see fit, which, let's be honest, usually equates to using them for our own benefit and not to help other people. Now, with those narratives, I just sat back in my chair in my office this week and I was like, man... God, isn't it incredible that you still use us? Isn't it incredible that you use broken, selfish people? Isn't it amazing that we were able to build this church? Isn't it amazing that, you know, our not-for-profit organizations like Higher Grounds is well-furnished and supplied because of the generosity of this church? God uses us in spite of our brokenness to help the poor, to heal the broken, to finance his kingdom. Moving to a better place, I believe that happens because many of you are not following false narratives. You're following good and beautiful narratives of the kingdom of God. So the true narratives are as follows. Helplessness, provision, and stewardship. Helplessness, provision, and stewardship. Let's look at the first one, helplessness. The correct narrative is God helps those who cannot help themselves. 
God helps those who cannot help themselves. Yes, it's true. We hold these things in balance. God helps those who are able to help themselves. We should work hard. We should make good choices. We should plant good seed and anticipate a good harvest. But God also helps those who cannot help themselves. Can I get an amen? Amen. Come on now. In John chapter 8, Jesus helps a woman caught in the act of adultery. She's literally ready to have rocks thrown at her until she's dead. Jesus steps in and says, no, we need to forgive her. We need to love her. It pulls her back up again. In John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus. He's literally dead. Jesus steps in, raises him from the dead. John 21, Jesus reaffirms his love for Peter, his disciple, who had made promises that he couldn't keep. He literally says, I don't know Jesus. May I be cursed if I know him. And Jesus reaffirms his love for Peter, pulls him back in to the love of God. And so the Bible is full of people who have fallen, people who have failed, but people who have nonetheless received the generosity and the goodness of God. That's your life. That's my life. And we are chock full of God's generosity, even when we didn't deserve it. It would actually be easier to make a case that God helps those who are broken, undeserving, and needy than it would be to say God helps those who work hard, are deserving, and have plenty. If you did a Bible study, God is for the underdog. (laughs) He is. He's always helping people who are broken and undeserving. Yes, we may have worked hard to earn a living, buy a home, put food on the table, but truthfully, every person in this room, everybody watching online this morning, we rely on the mercy and the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Come on now. Um, There's a quote from the book. James Bryan Smith says, were it not for the air that I breathe and the sun that produces life, I would not last a minute. Wow. We're helpless. And God graciously helps us. The thought that I had as well is sometimes we think we're so invincible. We think we're so strong. We think we're so able. Have you ever been in that space and then you break a bone? Or you're in that space and then suddenly you're sick or your doctor gives you some bad news and you suddenly are like, oh my goodness, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Every one of us is helpless. Helplessness is the first true narrative. Provision is the next truthful narrative. And the truthful narrative says is if we all share, we will have enough. If we all share, we will have enough. I love how he dives into the Bible in this point. He talks about Exodus chapter 16. The children of Israel are wandering in the desert. Uh, They're helpless. They're trying to make their way to the promised land. No food. But in their helpless condition, God provides food for them in the form of this white seed-type substance. Does anybody know what it's called? Manna. Manna. Now, what's really interesting about manna is the Hebrew word for manna is the word, like, it's, it sounds like, what is it? So the Israelites literally named this stuff, what is it? I mean, what a great name, manna. Um, so the word manna, what is it? They discovered that it was food that kept them alive. They could eat this stuff that was scattered about on the ground. But they were not supposed to store it up. Crazy thing about manna was if they tried to store some of it for the next day, it went bad almost instantly. And therefore, it taught them this principle of relying on God's provision. Isn't that amazing? What an incredible story. Another rule about manna gathering is God commanded them to take only enough 
for their own nourishment and no more. And that way there would be enough for everyone. And uh, I wish I could like pull up one of these devices to show you, but they used this Old Testament measuring device called an omer. And apparently an omer is about two quarts. And so I was going to like bring up like measuring cups and all that, but I, you know, anyhow, two quarts for an omer. Um, Exodus 16, verses 16 to 18, it says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tents. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not gather too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Now, humankind hasn't changed very much because even in that story, some tried to gather more and it just rotted. Um, But when they stayed with God's prescribed measuring system using the omer, everybody had exactly what they needed for their own nourishment. Do you think God might be speaking to us through this story, church? This is a great story. I love it. It's tempting to consume more than we need because we believe that there will not be enough for everyone, and so we need to grasp at it. We need to take what we can for ourselves. But the Omer principle shows that there is enough for everyone, but only when we're reasonable and only when we only take our fair share. Uh, A story that came out of the book, hunger experts tell us that there is enough food on the planet to end world hunger. There is enough food on the planet to end world hunger, but we live in a developed nation. And on one hand, thank you, Lord, that we live in Canada. But those in the developed world are part of a system that consumes more than what is necessary. James Bryan Smith tells a story about watching a late night infomercial for a weight loss program. And so imagine this infomercial. Infomercial comes out, for only $150 per month, you can lose a pound a day. Can you imagine losing a pound a day? Oh my goodness, that's incredible. Only $5 a day to lose one pound a day. And then he's switching through the channels and he sees a relief organization, maybe like World Vision, showing hungry children. And the advertisement is for $3 a day, you could prevent a child from dying from hunger. And what he said is the irony wasn't lost on him. You can lose a pound for five bucks a day, every day. You can save a child for $3 a day. Now that story makes us feel sad, makes us feel guilty. Um, We shouldn't avoid responsibility. We're going to talk about ways to be generous and to help. But the truth is we can't solve world hunger in an instant. We are part of a broken system. But the point of sharing this example for you is um, what does it look like for you and I to arrive at Omer-type decisions? Omer-type decisions. It looks like taking only what we need and saying to ourselves, maybe I don't need that extra thing that I really, really want. Um, I wasn't even thinking about this message a couple weeks ago, but I was in St. Albert Center and I was trying on jeans. I love sales. I love sales. Like I found these jeans, 12 bucks. Now I feel like an advertisement right now. 12 bucks for these high quality jeans. They were on like the discount or whatever. I tried them on, they fit perfectly. Maybe I should have got them. But um, a little voice in my head said, Peter, you have like six pairs of jeans. I have more clothes than my wife. Like, okay, so 
I'm going to stop talking now, all right? I don't need those jeans. Who cares if they're 12 bucks? I don't need them, right? Um, but imagine if every single person made Omer-type decisions, again, reasonable, just enough that I need type decisions, the substantial difference that we could make in our bank accounts and with our provisions in giving to other people. The story of the Israelites in the desert gathering manna shows us this incredible principle that God designed a world where there is enough as long as we only take what we need. So um, helplessness is the first true narrative. We're all helpless and in need of God's generosity. And the second one is provision, which says that there is enough if we would all share. We're going to look at the third and final narrative. I love this word. It is the word stewardship. Stewardship is a good word, and it comes against the entitlement narrative. It, entitlement says, what is mine is mine. Stewardship says, what appears to be mine is really God's. What appears to be mine is it belongs to the Lord. One day, and I don't say this to guilt trip you, I don't say this to scare you, one day you will reach eternity and we'll realize that nothing that we had on this earth belonged to us, but it was all a gift from God. Even the ability to work, even the ability to earn a wage and a salary, God invested you with the physical strength and the gift and the mental capacities and all of those things in order to do what you do. And as I say that, I think of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verses 18. It says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. We get tricked into thinking that our possessions belong to us, and therefore we get to choose exactly how to use them. God has given each of us a little kingdom. You have a little kingdom. Your little kingdom is subject to a bigger kingdom. Our little kingdoms, we, we own and we manage and we're stewards of the things in that kingdom. But in understanding that everything belongs to him, no longer can I say what is mine is mine to do with as I please. Instead, the narrative for the believer becomes what is mine is not really mine. And therefore, in everything, I must ask God, how do you want me to use the gifts that you have given to me? Can I get an amen? Man, that's flipping the script, isn't it? That's a different way of thinking. This is a fundamental shift that affects our daily decisions, and it causes an inward disposition of generosity that overflows in self-sacrifice. It's rooted in an understanding that this is exactly how God is towards us. He's generous. He's self-sacrificing. He gave it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Amen? Now, um, we're going to hang out on the stewardship narrative for a little while because I want to address two extremes that we sometimes see in the body of Christ. Um, Pastor Greg, this is kind of a Pastor Greg-ism, but what he says is there are two miles of ditch for every mile of road. I don't know if you've ever heard Pastor Greg say that. There's two miles of ditch for every mile of road. And it's this understanding that there are extremes that we can get into, but there's a tried and true biblically you know, accurate way that is on the highway. So has anybody ever heard of the prosperity gospel? Yeah, prosperity gospel. Now, um, don't get mad at me, but in some sense, I actually don't mind the term prosperity gospel. I don't mind it 
Because I believe that we are immensely prospered and blessed because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Our sins are forgiven. We've been given the gift of righteousness. I am the most prospered and blessed person on the planet because of what God has done for me. And so whenever somebody kind of comes down on the prosperity movement, I'm like, oh, we're pretty prospered. <laughs> we're, we're pretty blessed. Um, I think there's room to redeem that definition. But the definition of the prosperity gospel that I completely disagree with, I, I do not subscribe to this narrative, is that God wants me to have everything new and shiny and a lot of it. God's prosperity in my life has to do with me receiving money and possessions for my own happiness. Money, 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 new watch, new car, new, 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 money, money, money. Look at God blessing me, me, me. I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't, I actually don't think that's good for us. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's good for our hearts. And I don't think that's good for a world that needs help and needs us to care and to share. And so on one ditch, we have the prosperity gospel. On the other ditch, we have the poverty gospel. The poverty gospel. Every now and then, now the poverty gospel is not as popular as <laughs> the prosperity gospel, you know, but um, poverty gospel, you'll run into Christians who believe that the way to be truly spiritual and mature is to be poor. Now, without getting too deep into it, again, there's wisdom in all things. You know, God teaches us in seasons of lack. Our faith is grown. We are mature when we're in those seasons of not having enough. But I wouldn't go so far as to say that that is a precedent for every believer to pursue poverty in order to be more spiritual. I think you can count a few monks throughout history, a few people throughout history that had that calling to poverty in order to be nourished by God. Um, the example that came to mind is, you know, some people are called to celibacy, but that doesn't mean that every single one of us is called to celibacy. People still get married, right? And so extremes are almost always dangerous, amen? The prosperity gospel is simply greed covered in the veneer of religion, and there isn't inherently anything spiritual about poverty. No one is actually better for having become poor. James Bryan Smith says, being poor is the poorest way to help the poor. <laughs> so Dallas Willard says, stewardship, which requires possessions and includes giving, is the true spiritual discipline in relation to wealth. And many years ago, I was at a conference and I heard this fellow, Shane Claiborne, really powerful testimony, author, he's an activist. He says, we need a third way. Neither the prosperity gospel nor the poverty gospel, but a gospel of abundance rooted in a theology of enough. Church, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? How do you grow and abide in a theology of enough? The gospel of abundance is only found in the kingdom of God where somehow we have what we need when we need it and it's good. The kingdom of God is not an ATM where we get an endless supply of resources to spend however and whenever we want. I don't think that's the kingdom. It is a dispenser of resources offered to those who understand the ways of the kingdom where there is a need and a person who can meet that need, the supply just keeps on going. The supply will never run out. And so how will we discern what is enough? If we, make, if we let our culture make that decision, 
we're going to use buckets and not omers. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. If we let our culture make that decision, we're going to use buckets and not omers. Now, some of you, maybe God has prospered you immensely. Maybe you're a millionaire. Maybe you're a multimillionaire. And you have a big bucket. Some people are called to that. If you have a big bucket, use it to bless people. Use it to further the kingdom. Use it to, for the expansion of the kingdom of heaven. God calls some people to have a big bucket. And God calls many of us to have a handful or an omer. Um, in the book, the author tells a story about Forbes magazine. This is just such an interesting story. So Forbes magazine set out to quantify how much money a person would need to live well, okay? So the goal was not excess. The goal was not like major abundance. It was just to live well. Now check this out. They estimated that living well meant living in a 4,000 square foot house. <laughs> living well means owning a second home in a beautiful place, probably in the mountains or on the beach. Owning three luxury vehicles. They're serious about this. Going for dinner at least once a week at an upscale restaurant, three vacations per year, private schooling for the children, upscale colleges when they graduate, and a 1% savings rate. I did the math. I converted it to Canadian dollars this week. And um, to finance just enough to live well, you would need to make a minimum of $260,000 per year to just scrape by, <laughs> just, just to live well, right? Um, now, this is the problem that we have when we get entitled. Now, again, if you make $260,000 a year or a million dollars a year, you know, uh, again, the point is not how much you make. The point is how much you're using that in your lifestyle and whatnot. But our, when we're entitled, our buckets grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And suddenly, God's desire and design for enough is not enough for us. Um, something else I wanted to say on this is I do believe that we need to be spirit-led because like in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were gathering manna, families were different sizes, families had unique needs and whatnot, and so we need to be spirit-led in this process. This is not a prescription for legalism. We need to ask as often as we can, God, how are you leading me to use my financial resources? God, in light of the need in our world, what are you calling me to do about it? What are you calling me in terms of my standard of living and my material possessions? And it almost certainly won't mean sell everything and give it all to the poor. That's uh, another ditch. But it could mean that we begin to look at our income and our assets in a new way, saying, God, all of these things belong to you. How would you have me use them? Now, in uh, moving towards a conclusion in this message, um, I wanted to touch on other ways that we can be generous because I think that money is one thing. A few years ago, Pastor Greg shared a message and he had four T's. I'm going to share the four T's with you right now because I think it's going to encourage you. Um, so the first one is time. The first one is time. I have five young children. I'm still working full time. I'm not super rich on time. But there are people, although retirement I've heard is really busy, so, you know, but there are people that have more time. 
And even if you don't have more time, you can still stop and encourage somebody. You can still stop and buy somebody a coffee and sit down and listen to them. And, and you can still help a complete stranger or, or whomever, right? I would encourage you to be generous with your time. The next one is our talents. So you have time, you have talents. Every person in this room has been given a measure of strength, health, physical attributes, gifts, abilities that are unique and powerful, strength, health, influence, gifts. These are things that God has given to you. And so use those abilities to help people. Use those abilities to serve. Our talents are given to us by God to bring hope, healing, and help to a world in need. So we have time. We have talents. The third one is treasures. I've talked a lot about treasures in this message. We are stewards of our financial resources. And it doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little, your money, your home, your car, your material things, these things can be used for the good of others. Money is not evil, nor is it the root of evil. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil. And it doesn't matter if you have 10 bucks or if you have a million bucks. You can be the most stingy, selfish, penny-pinching, tight-fisted person. Some of the poorest people are some of the most generous people. Some of the richest people are some of the most generous people. It's about being open-handed. God can't fill a hand that's like this. Right? He can fill a hand that's like this. But if you have a heart that beats for God and if you love people, then money and material things can be a great source of blessing. The last one, I like this, it's your testimony. Your time, your talents, your treasures, and your testimony. Has God done anything for you? Has he done anything significant and powerful for you? We're going to hear testimonies next Sunday. It's Baptism Sunday at the Father's House next week. We got two packed services, people being baptized that are going to share testimonies. More than money and more than material things, some people just need to hear a story of God's grace, a story of his generosity, and that'll just shoot hope into their souls and give them all the help that they need. So I'm going to invite the band to come. <clears throat> I told a story at the beginning filled with false narratives, trying to sort out my feelings while driving this drunk lady about around Mournville. And I recognize, church, that I was judgmental. And there are times I could tell you many more stories where I've been judgmental, where I know I blame people for the condition that they're in. I recognize that there have been times in my life where I've had a scarcity mindset. And I say, I can't give beyond the bare minimum, or I can't give at all because anything I give contributes to my own lack. I'm believing that that's going to break in Jesus' mighty name today in this church, that we're not going to be all tied up by a scarcity mindset. And then, of course, there's entitlement. It was easy for me in that story to think, my car, my money, my time, my, my, my. But I needed better narratives. Maybe you need better narratives. All of us are helpless if not for the grace and the mercy of God. Everything we have received, God has provided to us to be shared and to bless other people. My time, my talents, my treasures, my testimony, God wants to use you. God wants to set you ablaze with his glory in this world. There's this cheesy quote that I thought of, but I, I think it's a good one. 
It says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of, yeah. Not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Church, one day in eternity, I said this a few weeks ago during the offering, the time for giving will be done. We will all stand face to face before God Almighty, and God will say, you had money, you had resources, you had time, you had talents, you had treasures, you had a testimony. How did you use everything that I invested into your life? And we will be held to account for that. And so I urge you to be generous with everything that God has given to you. If you're saying this morning, Lord, help me. Everything you've given to me is meant to go through me. I want to be a conduit for your generosity. Give me a wave. Give me a wave. Yeah. Hey, Sly. Hey. <laughs> hey, everyone. There you go. Awesome. Let me pray for you. Why don't we stand together, church? God, I bless the people of the Father's house. Lord, I pray that we would live truthful narratives. God, knowing that we are helpless without your grace, without your mercy, God, I pray that we would be those who understand your provision and that we would share out of the abundance that we've received and we would share even out of the little that we've received. God, knowing that you want to use us to provide for other people. Lord, I pray for amazing, powerful stewardship in this church. Not a prosperity gospel, not a poverty gospel, but a theology of enough where we are open-handed, where we can be used by you, God. Lord, thank you for all that you have done in and through this church. Thank you for this building. Thank you for the ministries of this church, God. Thank you for the missions. Thank you for places like Higher Grounds and Fusion Thrift Shop, God, and all the ways that you are calling us to give and to serve, God. We bless your church in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And lastly, I just want to say, is there anybody that wants to receive the greatest gift of all time, the gift of salvation, the gift that money can't buy, <laughs> the gift that we receive by faith? If you're saying, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior today, just give me a wave and I want to pray with you. If you're saying, I want to be a part of this kingdom, and if you're joining us online, there's a button that you can click. I love it when I see those emails come through that say, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Click that button if you would like to recommit your life to Jesus today. We're going to sing this song, and I want you to sing it with some serious hearts. Amen? Church, we have root beer today. Dad's root beer. For all the dads and all the moms and all the kids, we bought enough root beer for everybody. And when you get that root beer, I want you to take it, I want you to shake it, and I want you to watch it overflow with the goodness of the Lord. But don't do it in the church, do it at home, okay? And let that root beer be an example of the generosity of the Lord. He loves you, and I'm believing that he is going to bless you, and he's going to use you to bless other people. We have prayer available at the cross. If anybody wants prayer today, go and buy all the muffins and go and get some root beer. God bless you, church. Amen.